You're listening to Mornings with Eric and Bridget on Moody Radio 89.3. Well, if we want to experience freedom from time anxiety, we have to reimagine our relationship with time itself. So says author, wife, and mother, Jen Pollock-Michelle, who's inviting us to disentangle our priorities and modern assumptions and instead ground those thoughts about our time and God's thinking about it. That's what she's written about in her book, In Good Time. Jen, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. So why this book? Why was this important to write? I I told Bridget just a few minutes Mm -hmm. ago, we've always had 24 hours in a day, 60 minutes in an hour, but somehow it doesn't ever seem to fit what we need. Is that kind of the reason why you wrote the book? Yeah, I think for my life, as with many others, busyness is sort of like the most acute pain point in time. And I was always that person looking for more time, looking for more strategies on how to be more productive, be more efficient. And so I was reading all kinds of time management books for the last three decades, really, since I was in college. And it wasn't until the pandemic when I realized I think I have a lot of disordered ideas about time. And I think that disruption that we experienced in the pandemic was just sort of a cue for looking for some new ways and more biblically grounded ways to think about time. Yeah, it really flipped our mindset upside down for a few years there for some of us. How did it change the way you thought about productivity? I mean, I think one of the things that was so clear early in the pandemic is that we just actually couldn't manage time. The assumption of time management is that time is something at your disposal, you know, and if you get super savvy, you'll be able to squeeze more productivity out of a day. And it just really assumes that you kind of have control of a day and that you could maybe ward off the contingencies or interruptions of a day to just barrel through your list. I think, you know, to get into a global crisis like we did, where all of a sudden we're not working in the same way that we did, we're not attending school, we're not going to church, you know, you just sort of realize time actually wasn't ours to control. It was actually something to receive. And I think that's when I started to think about productivity was just so limited. It was really so much about work and time as like instrument to get work done rather than time being a gift. And every day, every moment that we receive before we even think about what we're going to do with it, I think the first thing we do is we give thanks. All right. So there's a term you use, time anxiety. Define that for us. And why is this so important? Time anxiety, I think, is just the way that we suffer time. We suffer time's limits. We suffer time's constraints. Um, And I see that, you know, in Psalm 90, for example, which is a there's a very familiar verse in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days that we could gain a heart of wisdom. And so I think one of the ways that we suffer time or feel anxious about time is just to know that it's brief, um, that we aren't in control, as I've already talked about. But not only are we not in control of just the days and the hours, we're not in control of the years. We don't get to guarantee how long our lives will be. And so that is a great grief in time. I think other forms of time anxiety can be regret about the past. You know, we don't have control over the past. We can't change it. And sometimes we think that the past will foreclose on a certain version of the future, which I don't think is the way that God works. You know, God's renewing his mercies every day. 
and starting new stories all the time. Um, I think we can feel anxious about the future just to speak of the future. You know, again, those things we can't control, those worries that we have about outcomes that, you know, we can't guarantee. And so when we think about time, it's all about anxiety because, again, it's just we live in it, but we don't manage it. Well, in this book, In Good Time, you give us eight habits so that we can reimagine productivity. And speaking of time, we may not be able to get through all of them, but you do talk about the first one to simply begin. Talk Mm -hmm. to us about this first productivity um, principle here. Yeah, begin is really just begin again to reimagine God as a beginner. Um, I think, again, this is speaking really to that anxiety about certain things in the past are just going to determine my future. You know, I have maybe a story of suffering or a story of sin or a certain set of regrets. And so now I'm stuck. I think that's often how we can feel in time. Like, I just have no control, no no way to choose. And, uh, and obviously, I've already said that we don't have control. And yet, what would it look like to trust God, to trust God, whose time story is actually very, very long, um, who promises that every work he begins, he will complete. And so this first chapter, this first habit is like put away all that despair you have, that yes, you have to grapple with your time limits, but what if you stepped into God's time plenty and you actually believed that you could be made new in time and that his mercies could be made new? What would you begin? What risks would you take up? What hope would be reanimated in your life if you began? Yeah, this is kind of ridiculous, but I was I was standing over my trash can. My wife said, how about you go clean out the garage on Saturday? So I'm standing over the trash can in the kitchen thinking of all the other things I could do but the garage. And then finally I said, all right, I got to go do the garage. So I put my shoes on, went out and cleaned the garage, and now it's clean. That is exactly what you're talking about. We put all these other – our minds just take us to different places on what else can happen, Mm -hmm. what else can be accomplished instead of what really needs to be done, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think – One of the things about living in time is just to believe that there are certain things God calls us to do that are difficult. You know, love is a difficult thing. Um, You were loving your wife by actually just cleaning out the garage. Praise the Lord for husbands who (laughs) clean out the garage. Uh Um, But also just knowing that if God calls us to do something, he's going to equip us with everything we need, including time. Mm -hmm. You also talk about the seventh habit of enjoy. So there are things that we've got to do. You know, it's on our list. But there, there are times where we get to just enjoy what God has given us, right? We absolutely do. You know, it's cool to think about actually the whole creation narrative and the seventh day, you know, the first day really for human beings, six days, God's been at work. And then they're made on the sixth day. And then the seventh day is a day of rest. You know, God, the first day that he unleashes humanity on the world to keep this world, to reign with him, you know, to make something of the world. He says, he doesn't say, well, now get busy. He says, well, rest. And Sabbath really is a day of delight. And that's just pointing us to the whole story of the Bible, 
that joy is behind the work of God. And we're invited into God's fullness of joy. And Jesus, when he's saying goodbye to his disciples in the Gospel of John, he's saying, obey my commandments and enter into the fullness of my joy. And Jesus, who goes to the cross, does so for the joy that's set before him. So we see joy all over the Bible. And I think this idea of like living in time with time faith is just an invitation into joy. And it's not just about, again, productivity is so much about work. It's just about squeezing, you know, some sort of output in every hour. But joy really has a different kind of mindset. It actually, researchers tell us that joy um, provides our most time-full experiences. It's where time slows down. It's where we kind of lose track of time. And so we absolutely need more joy, more experiences of joy. And we really do find that in God and with God's people. Mm. Can I take you back for a second? Because we skipped over habit five, which is weight, which it seems completely (laughs) opposite of what we're talking about here when it comes to productivity and time management. It is the opposite. Productivity is like, hurry up, get things done, time's running out, keep your eye on the clock. And then all of a sudden, you you know, anybody who just picks up their Bible, I mean, this morning, Matthew chapter one, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then all you have is just all these names, all these generations. And I couldn't help but think, you know, that's a whole bunch of waiting, a whole bunch of waiting for the Messiah, for the promise that, you know, God made to Abraham. And that's really God's way with us. It is waiting. Faith is formed in seasons of waiting. So when we hold really tightly to a framework of productivity and efficiency, we just have no appetite to wait. But we need to form an appetite for waiting because it clearly is the way that God works with his people to form in them faith and trust and surrender to his wisdom, which is so often not ours. Yeah, boy, he really does sanctify us through those waiting seasons. I mean, we see that in scripture, but we see that even in our life, even if it's like mm-hmm. the grocery line. I mean, there's God can really work in us to, to stretch us when we have to wait. Yeah, I, I'm as impatient as anybody else. You know? And then I've raised five children, or I'm in the midst of raising five children, three in college, two in high school. And I just see, you know, the human experience, like we don't want to wait for anything. And we live in a technological society that gives us an appetite for things to be done quickly. Like we don't want to even wait for our computer to like load a new web page. And I'm sure I'm speaking to people who have no remembrance of when we actually had to dial up to get on the Internet, you know. So we're being formed to want things instantaneously. And I think really in our spiritual lives, we have to say, hold on a second. That's just not the way God works. I think that's why the habit, the last one you talk about, remember, is so key. Mm hmm. Remember is really just getting the view, like kind of the aerial view of human life. Remember that you die actually is what wisdom was in so many of the monasteries, you know, in the medieval, in medieval times, they would just actually rehearse this, you know, remember that you die. And I think that's a theme in the Bible. Remember that your life is a mist, a shadow, a vapor, that it is, um, it grows up like grass. And it flourishes in the morning and it fades by the afternoon. 
And until you have that aerial view, that limited view of mortal human time, you can't choose well. And that's really what Jesus was saying in the parable of the man who built the bigger barns, right? I'm so wealthy, I'll build these barns, and then I'm going to just enjoy all that I've, you know, accrued in terms of wealth and status. And, and God, you know, his life ends and God says, you know, you're a fool because you didn't actually reckon with the true nature of time, which isn't just mortal. It's, there's more than mortal time. Remember that you die, it's limited, but then invest in things that actually truly last. And that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is calling us to. It's calling us to a salvation in time. So that our lives aren't just good now, but whatever we suffer now, it's going to be redeemed in the never-ending day, which is actually how eternity is described in Revelation, which I just find so beautiful and so hopeful to think that the sun is going to rise on the world, the new heavens and the new earth, and then, you know, it's never going to set. And so that actually gives a frame for understanding suffering today, injustice today. These things are going to be reckoned with, and we're invited into that. And and that's really the call of the gospel, is to be invited into that view of time. Can I, I get all this? Can I just kind of throw a curveball in that? Sure. The, the question <laughs> of responsibility. Um, yes. My boss still wants me to get that report to him two hours ago. My son still needs to get to basketball practice 10 minutes ago. And I still need to find out what we're having for dinner because my kids are saying they're hungry. Where does responsibility throw into this a curveball? Yeah, well, I would actually go to a story like Mary and Martha. And I don't want to, you know, there's so much to say about that story. But a cool way that um, people used to interpret that story throughout the centuries um, was just that Martha did represent the life of responsibility, of real responsibility. She was hosting Jesus. She was putting dinner on the table for Jesus and the disciples, and that was a good. And the church, like throughout many centuries, really commended Martha. Now, she got some things wrong. She forgot that what the most important things were, right? She didn't She deprived herself of Christ's visit, is how John Calvin wrote about it in the 17th century, um, 16th, 17th century. So what I want to say is that our responsibilities absolutely matter. We love God by loving our neighbor. But can we take up those responsibilities with a little less panic and a lot more peace? Because if God gives us responsibilities and he means for us to carry those faithfully, he's going to give us the time to do it. I think what we need to reckon with is sometimes we take up responsibilities that are not ours. And I think a lot of times we are given to distraction that actually just, you know, our phones, you know, shopping, these these kinds of things that exist in society today. We have to get ruthless about our distractions so that we have the time to attend our responsibilities. And, you know, part of the human experience is always that God is putting us into situations where we have to trust him. And time is a part of that. You know, he often gives us responsibilities that feel too great, too heavy, you know, that we're going to be too small to carry them. There's not going to be enough time. And yet we just, that's the practice of trust. Is that God? Okay, if you ask me to carry this, you're going to give me everything I need to do it. And so absolutely, we've got to carry our responsibilities. This is the way that we love our neighbor. 
I think pride has to do some of that too. We we yeah. have this proud mm. proud heart that we can do all these things, and yeah. he's trying to break us from that. I think. And I want to say, I mean, just very quickly, you know, there's a lot of self-reliance in time management. It often is sort of assumes this kind of hero's journey. And to your point, Eric, um, time faith, which is really the antidote to time anxiety, um, is really a communal life. And so a lot of times we think about our responsibilities and we think it's just all up to us. Well, how do we look to our communities to live um, in community with other people and to rely on them? And I think that's been a real learning for me, especially since the pandemic, is like I, I had a self-reliant life. And that's not actually the life that's figured in Scripture. Um, the life of the fruitful life in, in Scripture is the communal life. And so it's working together and my, you know, some of these responsibilities, again, that I think are mine to carry, they could actually, I could maybe delegate some of them, or I could look to my community to help me carry them. And I think that's a really important antidote or way that we counter pride. And so I'm glad you brought that up. Mm, so much wisdom in this new resource from Jen Pollock Michelle. It's called In Good Time Eight Habits for Reimagining Productivity, Resisting Hurry, and Practicing Peace. We've got a link at ericandbridget.org. Wow. Thank you so much for this conversation. It's been great, Jen. Thank you so much. Thank you.